Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 390. And tonight, we are recapping two episodes of Laura Olympus. We're going to start with episode 256, which is available for free right now on the Webtoons app. And then we're going to go right into 257, which is only available if you're fast passing, which we are. Ooh, yeah, I was definitely going to fast pass 257 after the way 256 ended. I was very tempted to fast pass the next episode, too, but I didn't, but I really wanted to. Yeah, a quick summary would be nobody likes Apollo because he's a great big jerk, and Demeter freaking tells him off, and she doesn't even <sighs> pause to do it. I feel so much better about the whole Demeter thing now. I really do. I've been worried for months that what was going to happen was Demeter did disapproves of Hades so much, and everybody loves Apollo, that she was going to be like, oh, you shouldn't be with Hades anymore. You should definitely be with Apollo. No, that's not going to happen. Nope. But we'll get into that when we talk about that episode. So we start out with um, Hades and Persephone talking about Zeus's status, and Hades confirms that he hasn't gone into hibernation, which I'm not sure how they know that, other than the fact that they just kind of disappear into the earth somehow, but they mm-hmm. don't they don't know what's causing it. The doctors don't know what's causing it. So Hades has to go to the big meeting that Apollo is called, but Persephone isn't going with him. And I was a little disappointed, but Hades and Persephone are just giving herself permission to not go because Apollo has made that a possible. That, I mean, yeah. he would, her being in the same room with him is just a terrible idea because he doesn't understand boundaries. No. No, absolutely not. And I'm glad that this wasn't like some decision that somebody had made. I was thinking for a minute, I'm like, is she not allowed to go? Did they not consider her a ruler of the underworld? No, they do. They just don't want to put her through that. And I think that's very nice. But Hades did give her some earbuds so she can listen in on the meeting. And she can also apparently like make commentary that other people can hear in the meeting, which I thought was interesting, but that comes up later. Yeah, yeah. Now what she's going to be doing while the meeting is going on is she's working with Hecate and, uh, oh shoot, it's um, Dream, basically. Uh Morpheus? Morpheus. Yes, okay. So she and Hecate and Morpheus are going to be looking for ways to find and get in touch with Erebus. And Hecate, I love, Hecate's got a private library, and she's really, really specific here. She's just saying, this is my library. After we get done doing this, you're going to forget it exists. If anybody asks you about my library, you're going to be like, I didn't even know Hecate liked to read. She just really, really, really doesn't want anybody messing with all of her stuff. So Persephone tells Hecate, you know, says, you know, if it's okay, I'm going to patch into the meeting, which Hecate says, you don't actually have to ask permission for something like that, but could Persephone make it available for all of them to listen to because Hecate is nosy? And Persephone's like, isn't that unethical? And Hecate's like, it's background noise to help us focus on our research. And there's this pause. And then Persephone says, I can't argue with that. So <laughs> the, the pleased look on Hecate's face when she says that. Yeah. There's a little side note. Morpheus is feeling really bad about how everything went on the last dream dive because that was when Kronos took over Hades' body. I think Morpheus has some real self-esteem problems. And I don't know if that's going to be addressed later. It was definitely touched on in this episode, though. Uh, We flash over to Apollo, who is still communing with Oranos, and he's just asking, why can't I just tell them right away? And Oranos' voice says, you need to make the others believe they have a say in the matter. So I guess maybe Mm. the announcement is going to be 
Oranos is back and is going to take over, and I'm going to be his second in command. Whatever. I don't. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It's funny because I always got the idea that that Apollo thought that Oranos was helping him become the main leader. I don't know that Apollo would ever willingly to agree to be second banana to anybody. No. Well. So Apollo tries to make a grand entrance, but it's completely disrupted by the fact that Ares just comes charging in. What have you done with my sister? My sister's an angel. It's just beating the tar out of him. Yeah, and somebody actually asks, I think it's Athena, saying, um, can somebody like do something here? And every other god in the room is like, nah, they don't want to stop any of this. So Hermes actually manages to get Ares calmed down, and Apollo tries to throw him out because he's not a quote-quote ruler, and... Hermes says, nope, I've got a letter from the princess of Olympus, and it's from Artemis. And he reads it out loud. It says, dear brother, you're embarrassing me. I've sent Hermes in my place. And then he just stamps this sticker on his forehead that says Artemis. And Poseidon says, I'm going to allow it. Mm-hmm. So this this just really sums up what the attitude is of everybody in this room. Nobody likes Apollo. Nobody thinks he's qualified to lead. They don't know why he's decided that since he discovered Zeus in a coma, that means he's automatically the leader. I mean, it's just like, and they can't stop any of this. I mean, he doesn't have a single person person in the room on his side. So I don't understand why there's even a question that he's going to take over if he hasn't, you know, revealed the fact that he's got Oranos backing him up. Yeah. And they also have a problem with the fact that he's automatically decided that it was Hebe. Hebe? I, I, I don't pronounced? think we've, we've figured it out yet. No, well, I'm going to say Hebe. He's decided that she's guilty and everybody is thinking, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. She wouldn't do something like that. So I love the fact that Every single thing that he's trying to put across to them, everybody's going, no, I don't, I really don't like this. They also want to know where Hera is, since she would be the next in line in charge, but apparently she's been very sick recently, and she had a bad flare-up the night before, so she's not going to be there. Yeah, and people have floated the idea that she should probably be the leader if Zeus is out of commission, and Apollo says she's always, always under the weather or sick or whatever, and God, he's so dismissive. It's so irritating. And Apollo also asks where Persephone is. And Hades says, she's in the underworld running the realm. And, you know, Apollo says, well, I was hoping we could address her latest blunder and come up with ways to manage her. And that's when you see Persephone pressing a button says, you don't have the authority. And then Apollo says, ah, Persephone, hiding in the underworld again, are you? Which is just such a shitty thing to say, because the reason why she went into hiding in the underworld the first time was because he was blackmailing her with naked pictures. And he knows that. Yeah. Now, when is it exactly that Eris shows up? Is that in this episode or in the next episode? Oh, I think it might be in the next episode because it's when things get really, really frantic with everybody arguing and then he's having to deal with this background noise of Eris. Yeah. So at this point, you've got him being snippy to Persephone and oh my god Hades is just getting really really angry I think that's when Hades actually goes into slight god mode and collars Apollo and tells him he is not allowed to speak to Persephone and you can see that Apollo's looking a little freaked out so he doesn't push Mm -hmm. that particular issue then he he definitely starts pushing 
it again later on, but he's probably out of arm's reach of Hades at that point. Yeah. Now, while all this is going on, you see Morpheus and Hecate, and they're both looking down a particular book, and it looks like they've got an idea for something. And Hecate actually tells Morpheus, yeah, this could work. So I'm interested in seeing what that's all about. But at that moment, Hermes looks up and he notices something shaking in the light fixture. And then you see this tendril of vegetation coming through the doorway. And then all of a sudden it's Demeter coming in, just in her full goddess mode, you know, covered with leaves. And she says, the mortal realm, it's dying. And that's where the episode ends. Oh, God. So we're just going to go right into the next episode. Sorry, I've already spoiled the fact that Eris is going to show up in this episode. But Oh, my goodness, yes. So we start out with Hebe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the mortal realm, not exactly sure why it's so cold. And then she says something interesting. She says, in the mortal realm, it's supposed to be 180 days of spring and then 180 days of summer and then five days of a kind of nice winter. Yeah. So right there, we know that the whole division between winter and summer and spring and fall and all that doesn't actually exist yet. Yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing some stories that Demeter being the goddess of the harvest, that was because Persephone would have to be in the underworld for a certain period of time, and she couldn't bring herself to make things be spring, so she taught humans how to grow crops and save them in order to last throughout winter. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's going to come in here at some point as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Hebe is finding dead mortals lying about. I mean, when... Yeah. This isn't just like winter being unexpected. Things are actually dying. Like everything alive is being hit by some kind of disease almost. And Demeter is just distraught because she doesn't have the power to make it stop. She's tried. And she she's crying at one point and she says, I know that some of you may view me as a bitter mother-in-law trying to create problems built on spite. Things are very, very bad. So there's a little bit of like a a self-recognition there, I think, or maybe at least recognition of what other people think, because I think that surprised her a bit when people told her off at the, you know, when things were going down between her and Persephone. But yeah, so she's completely frantic and she doesn't know how to fix it. And if the mortals die, that's going to be a real bad situation for the gods because they get their power from mortals' belief. And then Poseidon and his wife are talking about the fact that if this spreads to the ocean, what's that going to do? And everyone's worried about, you know, the naiads and the dryads and all the creatures that live based on the life in the mortal realm, how are they going to survive? Now, this would be the moment when Apollo, in his worst, snootiest, high-handed way, starts making comments again about Persephone. Because Persephone pipes up and says that this is that she thinks when she made the deal with Erebus that he took away her ability to be the goddess of spring and that her trying to bring spring about may have triggered this new problem of everything getting killed. And Apollo's just like, yet again, Persephone is the root of the problem. And and then he accuses Hades of maybe instigating this, of trying to get power for the underworld since so many mortals are dying. And Hades is like, no, we would be overrun with spirits if that happened. There's no way we could manage something like this. And 
Apollo makes a dig about the fact that, you know, it wasn't that the same issue when Kronos showed up? I mean, don't you know how to run your realm? And then he said, perhaps you're not capable of keeping such a goddess in line. She clearly needs. And then Demeter steps up. And like I said, without a pause, she says, don't discuss my daughter as if she's a dog that needs to be rehomed. And I think that was such a great way of putting it. Oh, and then she follows it up with, I would rather rot in the ground than see her with you. And I just, I was so happy because finally we've got confirmation that she is not going to give Persephone to Apollo. Even though we don't think that she knows what Apollo did to Persephone, she still hates Apollo so much, which is great. I was thinking that everybody, except for our beloved main characters, I thought everybody genuinely liked Apollo. It's so nice to know that they don't. No, and she says, because I mean, this whole time that she's saying that, she's like dragging his cloak over his head and tossing him to the ground. I mean, so dismissive. But then she says, at the very least, Adonis fought in the war. You're spoiled and have never known hardship. And that's, <sighs> she just, she doesn't have to know what Apollo did to Persephone. She doesn't approve of him and she never will. It's just, it's so nice. And I would love for Leto to have been in this meeting to see all this happening, because I would like to see her try to pipe up to defend Apollo and get shot down. But Leto's not there, because even though Leto's back in Olympus, she is not part of the ruling class. No, no, she isn't. So so at this point, everyone starts arguing, because they need to, they, you know, Athena wants them to figure out what's happening with Zeus and how to bring him back. And Ares is shouting about the fact that he would never hurt anybody and using poison in somebody's food is completely against her nature. And that's when you suddenly see Apollo just looking startled and you see the voice, poison. That sounds familiar. That sounds like something you would do. And it's Eris. And she's just, he's seeing her, but he's also seeing like the boardroom with Persephone sitting there with her hair trailing behind her, which I think he's come to associate with how she looked after he'd um he'd sexually assaulted her and this idea of her being vulnerable but at the same time kind of also being the crux of all of his problems that this is where he actually did screw up and made things worse for him not that he'd ever really consciously admit that to himself no 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 but it's things certainly have never been the same since he did that oh but then he also sees artemis like an image of her and it's, I guess it's Eris speaking for Artemis, and she's looking kind of gleeful and saying, one day Artemis will find out what you did to Zeus on top of everything else you've done. Is it possible for her to hate you anymore? And he's sweating. He's obviously freaking out at this point. Yeah. And then everyone's still arguing, and he just shouts at everybody to shut up because he can't think with all of them bickering. And you see Hecate, who's been listening in over um, Persephone's line, she's saying, something's not right with him. Yeah, yeah. And this is the point when Apollo, looking still a bit shaken, but he, trying to kind of regain confidence, he says, maybe the person who can solve this problem on the mortal realm should be the person who takes over on Olympus, which is not a bad idea, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Hades says that Persephone's working on fixing this, so he doesn't think it's necessary. And then Athena says, well, I suppose it's better than you electing yourself. She says this to Apollo. And I really liked how she was drawn in that picture yeah. there. She's got this yeah. kind of like <sighs> resigned look on her face, which she's obviously not happy and nobody in the room is happy. And I still don't see how Apollo thinks everyone's going to go along with him. But at this point, 
I guess everybody doesn't really quite know what to do. And that's when Persephone shuts off her, you know, recording, which Hades had told her, you know, here is a way that you can hear what's happening at the meeting, but if it gets too much for you, you can shut it off at any time. And it's nice yeah. that he's giving her a measure of control over this situation because God knows you don't want to be in a situation where she feels like she's trapped having to listen to Apollo. Oh, no. And Hecate is really understanding. She's like, you know, that that was a whole lot. But you know what would make you feel better? She's like, what? She says, witchcraft. And the commenters love that. Because <laughs> she's holding them two big torches as she says that. And you see Morpheus in the background with a great big bag of salt kind of pouring it out behind them. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, one thing I'd forgotten, and during the meeting at one point, Apollo is trying to say something to kind of gain control again. And he's got his hand on Athena's shoulder saying something. And Athena, without even looking at him, says, we're not together on this. Stop touching me. And I was like, yes, tell Athena. So the last thing we see in the episode is Hera. And she's lying in bed and she's just kind of like, She's wondering what's happening to her and then wondering, was that phone call real? And then we flash to her memory of speaking with Apollo. And Ahara is furious. She wants to know what he did with her daughter and why he's accusing her. And Apollo's like, well, I mean, if she wasn't guilty, she wouldn't have run. And Hera is trying to do the whole how dare you thing. And he's not having it. And he's so smug and his eyes are glowing gold like they did when Hera was thwarting him with um, getting arranged to be married to a Persephone. And he's just telling her she doesn't have any power anymore. And her whole shtick about being this helpless waif and drama and chain smoking and everything, it's done. And he doesn't want to hear it anymore. And then he says something like, years ago... Oh, I wrote it down. Oh, you wrote it down? Yeah, yeah, read it out loud. Yeah. He says, once upon a time, you let Kronos have a taste, and everyone has had to kiss your ass ever since. And I'm like, (gasps) he did not. Oh, my God. Now, you never never watched Mad Men, did you? No. Okay. There was this whole thing where, you know, the the advertising company needed this one account and the kind of sleazy, excuse me, the very sleazy married guy who was in charge of deciding if they got it, let them know that he wanted to have sex with their like lead secretary, Joan. Mm. And that was, that was his price. And the company really, really needed it. And Joan ended up doing it, but she said, I'm going to be a partner after this. And, you know, give them credit. They actually did it. But there was somebody in the company that would actually throw shade at her every once in a while with the idea that she, quote, used her body to get what she wanted without the idea that this was her sacrificing herself for the benefit of all these other people, and yet she still felt cruddy about it. And that's exactly the situation that's going on with totally. Hera here, because they w- probably wouldn't have been able to defeat Kronos if he hadn't been weakened, and she wouldn't have been able to hang around long enough to weaken him with that um, that herb, unless she'd been giving him something he wanted. And it's just, oh, it's oh, so, man. because she gets to be treated like crap for it, with this idea that, like, loose morals are sleeping with the enemy or something, like... And nobody seems to realize this wasn't an easy decision for her. And now Apollo is throwing it in her face. And that is where the episode ends. But you see, like, her eyes are so wide. And I'm thinking, oh, Apollo, I mean, 
for he better hope that he's got Oranos on his side because she is going to rip him limb from limb. Mm-hmm. And all of the pictures, of course, of her are just so beautiful as she's on the phone trying to shout at him and him just laying into her. And oh God, I really yeah. want to see Apollo get his comeuppance at some point. It has to happen. Ugh, God. But yes, I mean, despite the fact that it's all very infuriating and Apollo really, really sucks, it is so nice to see Demeter is not going to hand Persephone over to Apollo. And it's great to see that absolutely nobody likes Apollo. Is there anybody? I mean, even Asclepius, who is Apollo's toady, even he's more terrified of Apollo than loyal to him. I think he's Apollo's son, isn't he? He might be. I can't remember. And I can't remember the original uh, myth or if he's actually like acknowledged any children or something. But, but meanwhile, we have no idea what's going on with Eros and Psyche, which is probably one of the reasons why Leto wasn't there, because she has to keep an eye on the prisoners. But I don't know what the long game is for those two. I mean, he can't yeah let them out until he has full power. But even if he does have full power, would he ever want to let them out? Mm, I don't know. Probably not. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, and then again, though, is Apollo really capable of thinking of a long game? He, he is has just power, you know, and that's all he's been wanting. Does he even think about what would happen if this, that, and the other dominoes started to fall? I don't know that he does. I think Leto does. I'm pretty sure she's got like several moves ahead already planned, but um, still don't know what that could be with those two. And it, it surprised me that Hades and Persephone in the beginning weren't automatically jumping to the idea that Apollo had poisoned Zeus. But then again, they wouldn't know because they weren't there when Eros and Psyche found that out. And also, I don't think Eros and Psyche were able to pass along any information unless they pass some of this Cassandra information on to Hephaestus, who we haven't seen yet. Oh, they might have. I wonder about that, though, because Cassandra, her curse was is that she will always speak the truth Mm -hmm. in prophecy, but no one will believe her. No mortal will believe her. I was just going to ask if that's what it was. Oh, okay, because she told Eros and Psyche what had happened, and they totally believed her. So I thought, oh, okay, well, there you go. I don't know if they specified that in the original myth, but I'm thinking that's got to be what it is. I mean, because if if that had been the case, Apollo wouldn't have believed her prophecy either. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Wait, looking forward to this. I mean, as yes. usual, the artwork is beautiful. It's all laid out so well. I want to find out. Because it feels like it's too easy, the idea that Erebus just took Persephone's ability to be the goddess of spring. There's got to be another wrinkle, I think. I think it's probably that idea of balance and that Erebus, if they do find Erebus, Erebus is going to lay out exactly what the agreement is. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, you're going to be queen of the underworld, but there does have to be a price to be paid. And if that price is not being paid, then the world will be thrown into winter forever. Blah, 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 blah. So, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yes. So what I wanted to talk about was that me and Wade went to DesignerCon yesterday. Yay! How was it? It was good. It was definitely smaller than the previous year. I would say it was probably about half the square footage as last year's DesignerCon. Wow. And I, yeah, I, I had a feeling... You've been in the Anaheim Convention Center with me before. I think that was where WonderCon was, right? Yes, yes, that's where it was. And usually you've got like Hall A and Hall B and Hall C. It's all one big giant sales floor, but it's divided into the different halls. Mm -hmm. And we were very surprised when we tried to kind of open a door into like the Hall B area and we kind of peeked our heads and we're like, oh, wow, there's nothing here. And I looked on my little instruction sheet. I said, oh, 
Yeah, it says it's Hall D. So out of all the big halls that are in DesignerCon, only that one was being used for DesignerCon. So. Oh, interesting. Oh, well. I, do you suppose that's yeah. because of the, the move to Christmas? I mean, there's a lot of Christmas markets out there you would imagine people had already been set up for in order to sell yeah. their wares. So having it switched yeah. that close to Christmas. And, I mean, they made that change in the summertime, which isn't a whole lot of time to plan, is it? Yeah, I don't know exactly when that change was made, to be honest. I did finally talk to an artist who I usually get something from him every year, even if it's just a postcard. His Instagram handle is small and round, one mm-hmm. word, and super nice guy, and I love his his paintings that he does on figurines. And I asked him flat out, I said, so I was wondering, why was the move made to December? Apparently a real estate event, convention, something, Mm -hmm. they kind of overrode it. They basically rented out the convention center for the entire month of November. Wow. That level of money. Yeah. I'm sure the convention center is like, you got it. So they were over a barrel. So they just moved them to December. So I was glad that it wasn't something like the organizer was like, oh, we should do this. And the vendors hated it. Um, No, it was kind of out of their hands. If somebody else is going to wave more money in front of them, you know, there you go. And if anybody's got a lot of money uh, in their pockets, it would be the real estate industry in freaking California. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know yet exactly the reason why the convention is moving to Vegas, though I have heard that the owner, the guy who runs to DesignerCon, he has a company called 3D Retro, and he just opened a new store in Vegas, and people say that's why he's doing it. I sometimes wonder if maybe he was pissed off that the convention center wasn't playing ball, and maybe he's like, fine, I'll go someplace else. So I don't know. This is all rumors and speculation at this point, but there you go. However, it was it was really good. There were a lot of great vendors. Attendance was very good. It was very crowded on the sales floor. I had a great time. Wade had never been before, and so he loved going around. We were just shopping, and we're not like really huge spenders. We like getting lots of little things, so we just got lot little prints and stickers and stuff like that. I, I like the reels that you've posted so far on Instagram. I mean, that's some amazing looking stuff. And it's all, I mean, if it's if it's manufactured, it's done on such a small scale, like somebody with their own 3D printer creating these things or doing their own casting and all that. So it's not it's not like a Marvel or anybody's going to set up a stand. It's all crafters, basically. Yeah, and I don't know what exactly the rules are. Like, wait, at one point, he had seen one booth that has these kind of sort of foil-printed anime things, and he said, I don't know, how do they know that somebody, is there an artist who does that, or did they just find the images on the internet and print it out? And I said, I think the convention is a little bit better than that. I think they do check to make sure that this is supposed to be for artists, by artists, and it's supposed to be runs of less than 200, I think. But you do see some resellers there. We did see some tables that were obviously some store or group or whatever who were selling things that had been made by other people. I don't know what the rules are. Ah. That's whatever. I'm not part of the community, but I love the booths that are run by the... Because the artists are almost always there. Like, I bought a print, and I got the artist to sign it for me. Oh, how nice. Wade almost bought this one thing. He did get a print from this woman, but she has these wonderful designs, just very kind of out there, almost ethereal things. (laughs) 
She has a screen printer. She was screen printing shirts at the convention. You could actually buy a shirt that she had just put the ink on. She had one on display with a sign that said, don't touch wet paint. I'm like, oh, wow. wow. Yeah, you know, that's definitely not something that she got from someplace else. So, No, indeed. And it was also really fun taking the Amtrak up there. And Wade, who likes to get business class on Amtrak a lot of the times, was just, you know, quieter and nicer. And you also get like a couple snacks. And so I went ahead and got the business class too, because I thought oh, I'm going to treat myself. And he's like, Oh, we got to check and see if this one car's here. And we go through Amtrak towards business class and we open a door. And instead of it being kind of like airplane seating, you mm-hmm. know, like the seats are arranged, all the seats were all arranged to be facing the window. Oh, wow. They had little tables in between them, and there was kind of like a domed ceiling, so it was almost like a skylight above you and everything. And I just said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to pay for business class forever. And Wade said, this is not business class. This is a car that is not on every train. And it's apparently it's kind of random whether it is or isn't. It's technically part of coach. You just have to know that it's there. Oh, I love that sort of thing. Oh my goodness. It was so cool. And so we just camped out in this wonderful spot and just chilled and watched the scenery go by. And then later on, we moved up to business class because we wanted our free snacks. Of course, of course, priorities. Super, super cool. I really, really like it. Well, the only thing that I've been watching this week is that Nathan and I watched the second of the new Doctor Who episodes, uh, Wild Blue Yonder, and I loved it. And Nathan was so happy because he said the first episode was one of those things that he liked it when he was watching it, but the more he thought about it, the less he liked it. But this was just, it was a haunted house in space episode. And it's its the doctor and Donna doing what the doctor and Donna does best. And there's just, I can't even go into detail because there was so much wonderful, surprising stuff about it. And I listened to the Best Pick podcast did an episode about this and they Ooh. loved it too. And I just, it, it feels so wonderful to see something like that that I would want to actually go back and re-watch it. That's how much I oh, like this episode. Which is good because I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So, I don't know. We may be in the same time and place very soon. And you had told me that, oh, you haven't watched it yet? Well, maybe we can watch it together because I want to watch it again. I said, <laughs> oh, Yes, highly recommend. The last thing I wanted to mention is that Hannah sent us a text message today. And she said, hey, I wanted to ask, have you guys watched any of the episodes of The Crown? Because they do something in the fourth episode, a storytelling device that I do not approve of. I'm like, oh my God, we were talking about this on the podcast. (laughs) I still haven't watched any, but I'm getting a little bit of an idea from your guys' conversation what the shape of it is. But it really sounds like somebody's trying to polish the royal's reputation somehow. Yeah, or sort of revise the culpability of things that are happening. I mean, when you see it, you're going to understand what we're talking about. And there's a way that you can interpret it that makes you less angry. But I think both Hannah and I agree that we're not sure that's what the showrunners intended. So ah. just, mm, this episode of Vaguecast has been brought to you by the podcast. But I guess that will wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. So I have probably about 
50, close to 60 photos from DesignerCon, and I also have several reels. I've put them up on Binary System Pod on Instagram and My Pixelated Geek on Instagram. Definitely check those out. I will have the photo gallery should go up as time of this recording tomorrow, as time this episode is released a couple days ago, because time is weird. Time is weird. And this is also the final episode before Christmas. So So I hope everyone has finished their Christmas shopping and that everyone Mm. is going to be traveling safely if you're traveling. And if you don't celebrate, well, happy Monday. Is it Monday this year? I think it might be Monday this year. I'm not caught up on dates or anything. I'm just working from home. You lose all track of time, I think. Oh, my God. Yes, seriously. Time has no meaning, but... Anyway, all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So next week, it's really up in the air what we're going to be talking about. I mean, we could talk about uh, maybe a Night Vale episode. We could talk about a Doctor Who episode. We still need to do a Christmas fan art post at some point, so maybe mm-hmm. that could happen. Definitely, definitely. But one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. I always watch out. I can't help but cry. I'm going to go pout. And I'm telling you why. Santa Claus ain't coming to Mars. Santa Claus ain't coming to Mars. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus ain't coming. Santa Claus ain't coming to Mars.
Santa Claus ain't coming to Mars.